Father, you are the creator of all things. And God, we know that you did not just create things and then let them go. You created them for a purpose and you have ordered our steps. And you have brought us here to this moment. And the fact that you have orchestrated all of our lives in such a way that we would all intersect at this point is not an accident. God, I pray that we would be mindful of that this morning. I pray, God, that we would rest in your work, that we would rest in our identity in you, and that, God, I pray for those who do not know you here this morning, that you would make yourself known. And, God, all the things that we want to accomplish today here are not possible apart from you. So, God, we surrender all things to you. And I trust you, Lord. And I pray that we would see you as beautiful and as magnificent and as holy and as just and as good this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that's happened over the the course of the last uh, decade or two has been kind of this rediscovery of story and how important story is. And all of us, whether we realize it or not, are controlled and directed by story. Every single one of us has a story that is kind of playing in the background, one that provides structure and meaning to our lives. And and, and that story um, really centers around kind of four key questions. All right, that story that we um, create or that is created for us or that guides us is, is centered around these questions that pretty much every human being throughout the course of human history has understood and has asked. One question is, where, where do we come from? What is the meaning of it all? That, that, that goes back to thinking about what is, how did we get here? Who put us here? How did all this happen? And what is, what's the meaning? What's the foundation of all of these things? And then the second question that has been asked throughout all of human history is, why does it seem so broken? Like if I could picture off of a foundational meaning and purpose and I could construct the way the world is supposed to be, I think all of us, whatever that is, we would look at the world around us and we would say, but it doesn't look like that. And so in that is the, 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 the questions of the problem of evil and the problem of, of, of pain and suffering and brokenness in the world. And everybody asks that question, even whether it's globally or whether it's personally. The question of why do things not look the way that I think they're supposed to look? And then... We ask the question of, okay, well, if they're broken, if that's the way that, if, if it's supposed to be like this over here, and, and it's broken, and it's not like that, well, then how do we fix it? How do I, how do I address that? What, what's the cure? Where's my hope? And so throughout human history, human beings have looked at the brokenness of the world around them or in their own lives and said, Where, where's the hope for change? How could things be different? And then all of that then leads to, well, what's the point? comes full circle back to, what's the point of it all? To what end do we even work on these things and change these things? Because many humans throughout history have gotten to that place and just declared it hopeless. And then just kind of coast on for the rest of their lives. And that story, whatever you construct it, whether you think about it intentionally 
or whether you look at it and, and you, you don't think about it at all and it's just kind of formed in the background of your mind, make no mistake, it is formed. And that story that you tell yourself either intentionally or unintentionally, subconsciously or consciously, drives everything. It drives your expectations. It drives your desires. It drives your view of the world. It drives your joy. It drives everything. I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, I mean, even children have this structure. This is not just something for adults that you get, like you turn 13 and all of a sudden you start thinking about these things. Every child can articulate this, even babies. And I remember as a child, when I thought about this, I thought, okay, what was my foundation? What was my meaning back here? And, and as a kid, my um, foundation, I thought the main meaning of life was for me to have fun. Like, that was my main purpose. Like, that was everything. Like, if you asked me at, like, Jay, if you asked Jay at six years old, seven years old, and you said, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose? And I would say, to have fun. All right, any kids with me on this one so far? All right, hang in there, okay? All right, yeah, any adults in there with me? All right, so I, I had that view. Like, that's my job. And so, but then I looked around the world, and I saw my world in front of me, and that wasn't what it looked like. I didn't always have fun. That wasn't always the case. So even in my six, seven, eight-year-old brain, I'd ask that question. Like, well, what, what's the problem? Problem is my parents, obviously. Because they ask me to do things that aren't fun. Like, if they weren't there, like, if that, that is clearly the problem. I wake up in the morning with plans for my enjoyment and my fun, and then my mom asks me to clean my room. Or my dad asks me to take the garbage out. Or they tell me that we're going somewhere that I don't want to go. And that's broken. My world at that moment is broken. And just grief and dismay and drama overcome me. So what's the solution to that? Get rid of mom and dad, obviously. No, no, you're right. That would be, I lack foresight on that one. All right, so you can't get rid of them. So, but, but, but my cure is to convince them of my worldview, Right? And so kids do this all across human history. Convince mom and dad why it's not important to take the garbage out, why it's so much better to play video games or to go outside and play baseball than to do these chores, than to do these things that broke my world. And so I try to fix mom and dad. I try to change them. I try to convince them that, they, that they're not thinking about this clearly, that I just need to improve them. And as a last resort, I just procrastinate when all else fails. And just avoid doing all the things as long as I possibly can. And to what end? Why? Why do I as a child and why do kids today and why have kids all throughout history put so much energy into arguing with mom and dad and trying to convince them of their worldview? It's so they can restore things to the way they were always supposed to be with me having fun. See, it drives us. Now, I don't know any kid who would sit there and articulate all of those things from beginning to end. But I bet if you can think back to when you were a kid, or if you have children around you, you see that playing out constantly. See, even when you don't intentionally think about a story, it is formed. And that story forms your expectations. It forms your meaning. And right now, what I see in in our culture today, the the prevailing worldview, the most most vocal worldview that is going on right now, the, the biggest story that is being communicated 
is one that you've heard me refer to multiple times, which is humanism. And it's so powerful and it's so invasive that it has invaded even, even Christianity. And humanism at, at its core is essentially this. The question, the answer to the beginning question is, how are we here? It's random. We just kind of appear, we kind of evolved, we kind of, but whatever the case is, humans are at the center. So the meaning then, because it's random, because there's nothing um, uh, put on us, I determine for myself what truth is. I determine what meaning is. And then when I, I look around and I, I determine how the world should be and how people should function and what they should think and what they should do, and, and I determine that for myself and for others. And then when I look around the world and I say, well, it's broken because I don't know anybody in the world right now who would look around the world and say, this is utopia. We look around and say it's broken. Well, the reason it's broken is because people aren't agreeing with me in this. They don't understand that this, this is the way the world is supposed to be. And so those people are the bad people. The bad people cause problems and the good people are doing the best that they can. And so those people out there are, are the issue. They're the problem. Well, if that's my thought process, if my thought process is I, I've determined this is the way it's supposed to be, the, way, the reason it's not that is because all these broken people or all these bad people are doing bad things. That's why evil happens in the world and the good people do good things. Well, then the answer is, well, I have to fix the bad people. And so, so we do that. And so you see that in our culture where we say, okay, well, then the answer is like, I, I need to educate people more and I need, to, I need to give them more knowledge and I need to help them be better. And if we can't help them be better, then we need to just separate them and just get away from people who are, who are breaking my world. We see that right now in our country more than ever. As people on every, every political, philosophical idea looks at the other side and says, you're the problem. If you just thought like me, then all of this would be fine. And then that shows up when we say what the problem is. Because what the problem is, is people don't live the way that I think that they should live. We don't buy into the gospel narrative because the gospel narrative is that our rebellion is that we have wanted to be God and that we have rejected the one God who is good and holy and just and who created all things. And we've rejected him and his purposes and we've desired to be God. And so if we do that, if we have rebelled against him, then we are deserving of his just and righteous wrath. But we don't like that, and that feels uncomfortable. And so we look at it and we say, okay, no, no, no. The God that I believe in is this. He's, he's loving, and he just kind of lets go of everything, and he just expects people to be good people. And so I create that world. And so when I look at the world and I say it's broken, it's broken because people aren't being good people. And so to fix that problem, I have to make people start behaving. I have to get them to understand how to believe and how, how, to, how to live. And you see that we go down the path of humanism so easily. Here, here's the question for us. Do you really believe that what is broken in the world is inside your own heart? Like, Do you really believe that? Or do you believe that it's with people out there? Because if you believe it's with people out there, then you will blame others. And we see this all over. The rich blame the poor. The poor blame the rich. The uh, Republicans blame the Democrats. If you're a uh, Wisconsin sports fan, you blame Chicago for everything. They're the, the root of all evil. But whatever it is, you blame others. It's always somebody else because they're not living according to your standard. It's always their fault. The one person you never blame is you. 
The one person that you never look at in that scenario, in, in what's wrong with the world, what's wrong in my job, what's wrong in my marriage, what's wrong in my neighborhood, what's wrong in our schools, what's wrong in our culture. It's always other people aren't doing what I think they're supposed to do. It's never, I'm the problem. It's never, there's a rebellious heart in the heart of mankind that has rejected and pushed back against God. And when we say that, what we are saying is humans are the center. I define what truth is, and we aren't really living by the gospel. But if we were to look at the world through a gospel lens, we would look at every scenario, and we would realize that God has created everything. Everything in my life is created by God and for God. Do you believe that? Everything is created by God and for God. That means that not, your life is not your own. It means your time is not your own. Your money is not your own. Your situations are not your own. Your marriage is not your own. Your neighborhood is not your own. Your house is not your own. Your kids are not your own. It is all created by God and for God to display his glory through you. That's what it means to live in this gospel narrative. That's what it means to keep looking through that and to assess every situation around you with that, with that story as the background. If I believe that other people are the problem, then I believe that them changing is the answer. Think about that in your relationships. Think about any relationship that you have an issue with, that you are struggling with it. Maybe it's work, maybe it's family, maybe it's uh, an old friendship. Think about anything that is causing you stress and frustration. Tell me, if I were to say to you, what's the problem here? Be honest. How many of us would say, well, they're being this way. They're the problem. How many of you would say, I don't know what's going on over there, but I know that if this is broken, that it starts in my own heart. Because this friendship was created by God and for God and for me to display his glory in the midst of this. And if I believe that, if I believe that the problem is in my own heart, then the problem isn't behavior modification or the solution isn't behavior modification. It's that I need a new heart. And so the gospel narrative is that we are broken because we are fallen because of a, a broken heart. But that the answer is that we need a new heart and that comes only through Jesus Christ. That the Christian looks at the gospel and says, yes, God created the world and he created it for good, but it is broken and it is broken because mankind wanted to be God and wanted to take his place. And so we rebelled against his kingdom. And so as, instead of God judging us and condemning us as, as he would be just to do, he sent his son to live the life that we could not live and die the death that we deserved. And on him went all of our sin and all of his wrath. And then we are given his righteousness. Notice the order of things that we said. The gospel we said is redemption and then renewal. The world says renewal and then redemption. So you mess up, you, may, you make a mistake, you need to pay it back somehow. You need to change. Show that you have changed. Do enough good things to make up for those bad things that you did. And then you can achieve redemption. We see it all the time. Like, oh, he redeemed himself through these choices. You see it in sports all the time. Someone makes a terrible mistake, and then they, what, they, what happens? They make a good play, and they say, oh, he redeemed himself. And we view that way all the time. 
that we think that redemption comes after renewal. But the gospel says the opposite. The gospel says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he took us while we were fallen rebels. And he said, I'm changing you. I've redeemed you right now. I bought you back. I've claimed you as my own. You are not a rebel. You are not a traitor. I have made you my son or daughter. And it's not because of anything you have done. And now because I have done that, I've empowered you to walk in this newness of life. Do you realize how groundbreaking that is? There is no other religion in the world that claims that. There is no other philosophy in the world that claims that. Every single, ever, every, every single other one says you are broken, you are sinful, and so now you need to do enough good things and be holy so that in the end, God will, you will redeem yourself and God will declare you good. But not the gospel. You notice that when you're walking through Mark and you see how Jesus is hanging out with sinners and everyone says, why are you hanging out with sinners? What are they saying to him? Jesus, you're only supposed to hang out with clean people. And Jesus says they are clean. Why? How's that possible? The guy has leprosy right now. How are you possibly hanging out with him if, if you can't hang out with anyone who's unclean? Because I made him clean. When the culture all around him would have said, you need to prove that you are clean and then you'll be seen that way. And Jesus says, no, he's clean because I say he's clean. He's redeemed because I say he's redeemed. And if you are sitting here this morning and you have a past that you are ashamed of or you have struggles that you are ashamed of, you need to understand something, and that is this, that Jesus Christ redeems you. Your changed life from here on out does not redeem you. That does not buy you back from the slavery of sin. Only Christ does that. And as he redeems you, he then transforms you and renews you to walk in this new life. So what I want to do is I just want to give one example of how this plays out. And like I said, Christoph is going to go more deeply into this. But I want to, I want to give the example of when Jesus says this. And I want to show you how we separate um, the gospel narrative from even scripture. And so we say that we're Christians. We say we believe that God created everything. We say we're created by God and for God. We believe that, that we're fallen because of our own sin. We believe that, that we are redeemed by Christ and that we are renewed and we are made a new creation. And we believe that the whole point of all of that is to glorify, glorify God. And so we say that and we think that's something that's happened in the past. But then when it comes to passages like this, we separate it. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so we look at that and we say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What does that mean? He doesn't mean love all my enemies, right? It doesn't mean the ones that have done really horrible things. Okay, I, no, 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 I think I can handle this. All right, I'm going, to define, I'm going to define who my enemies actually are and say like, okay, those are people I disagree with, but then there are these other super enemies that Jesus doesn't talk about. He didn't, he didn't say love your super enemies. He didn't, he didn't say love your really bad enemies or the ones who really do evil. Just love these kinds. So I'm going to define enemies. Or I, or I say, okay, I'm going to define what love looks like. And so I'm going to say, okay, he says love your enemies, but obviously I'm not going to love the person. Like, that's impossible for me to love this person who harmed me in this way. 
And so like that's not possible. So I'm going to redefine what love is. And so we're going to say this phrase, which I'm sure many of you have heard, like love doesn't mean like, right? I can love somebody but not like them. That's not what the Bible says. And so we, what are we doing? We're redefining what these things mean. All right, and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, well, no, I get that one. I'm going to pray that the people who are persecuting me stop persecuting me. That's what I'm going to pray for. Do you realize that we take that passage and we apply all of those things and none of that has anything to do with the gospel? This is why we say everything comes back to the gospel. Are you viewing all of this through the lens of the gospel? So what is Jesus actually saying? If I truly believe the gospel, then I believe that the problem here is sin. It is rebellion and it is unbelief. And so the enemies, I look at these situations and these relationships and this situation, I believe this was created by God and for God. And this relationship between me and my enemy is not supposed to be this way. This wasn't the way that it was originally created to be, but it is broken. And why is it broken? Here's where we go off a little bit more. Why is it broken? Because they're a jerk. No. Why is it broken? Because I have a rebellious heart. And if I understood the work that God has done and the grace that he has given me in his life and how he loved me while I was his enemy and died and gave himself up for me, then I would understand that my purpose here is to glorify all of that in this hard relationship. And so I would look at that and I would say, I would pray for that person and I would look at that other person and what's their problem? It's not that they do bad things, it's that they have a rebellious heart. It's that they desperately need a new heart. So now what am I going to do? If I look at that person I say, okay, what's broken here is not just that you don't agree with me and you don't do what I do or believe what I believe. What's broken here is that you and I both have rebellious hearts against our king. And so what am I going to do if I'm looking at that and saying, the problem is your heart's messed up and my heart's messed up. That's the problem. Well, what else am I going to do other than pray? I desperately need to pray that God would give you a new heart and give me a new heart. I don't need to pray that you'll just stop doing mean things. I need to pray that your heart would be renewed and that my heart would be renewed. And then as I'm saying that, as I'm praying for this person that I've, that's grieved me and that's hurt me and wounded me, and persecuted me as I'm praying for this person and praying for the renewed heart. I'm reminded of how the work that Christ has already done in my life and how he has renewed my heart and he has made me new and he has forgiven all of my trespasses. And he has said, this isn't because of anything you've done, but I have declared that you are mine and I have made you new. And as I'm doing that and I'm saying to this other person, I want you to experience this. What am I doing now? I'm loving them. Now I actually want them to change. Not for my own benefit, but for theirs and for the glory of God. And so now I find myself actually loving this person. And all of a sudden, when I see it through that lens, and to what end? What if they don't change? And then I'm looking at it and saying, well, then my job is to declare the goodness and the glory of God to you through this relationship. And so now all of a sudden, I start loving them as Christ has loved me. And in that moment, when I'm seeing all of that through the gospel, you know the question that I'm not asking? Well, do I have to like them if I love them? Do you know the question that I'm not asking? Well, what do you mean, like, pray for them? Like, how am I supposed to do that? I'm also not asking, like, well, what, what is it per, what's persecution mean? What exactly is happening there? I'm not asking any of those questions because I'm so 
so just dominated in my thoughts by the gospel and by the idea that God created it. It's all created by him and for him. So my purpose is to bring him glory. And the way that I brought him glory is the fact that he redeemed me. Even though I rebelled against him, he redeemed me. He made me new. And I am like a trophy of his grace. I'm walking around a testimony to his goodness. That's the point. And if I start thinking about that in those ways, I start looking at people, not that they're messing up my world, but that God has placed them there in my life so that I might declare the goodness and the glory of God to them. I start looking at the broken friendships in my life as opportunities that God has placed. They were created by him and for him to exist so that I might display his goodness to them. I start looking at my neighborhood I start looking at my marriage. All of a sudden, my marriage doesn't exist to make me happy. My marriage wasn't created by me and for me to make me happy. Instead, it was created so that I could display the goodness and glory of God to my spouse. That all of a sudden, my kids, their job isn't to just behave and to do the things I want them to do and be successful. I realize that they were created by God and for God and that I am their parent because of God and to display the glory and the goodness of God to them as they walk through this world. And so when that happens, when I realize that, okay, my whole point, I'm all created by God and for God, the whole point is for him. When I realize that, all of a sudden, guess what? I'm not surprised when fiery trials happen, am I? I'm not surprised by those things. Like first Peter, like Peter says in first Peter, he says, do not be surprised by these fiery trials that are before you. Like, what did you expect? Jesus says, don't be surprised when these things happen. If they hated me, what do you think they're going to do to you? And the only way that surprises us is going all the way back to the beginning. If I believe that I determine the meaning and purpose of life, if I determine what's broken in the world and what's the cure for the world and what is the purpose of my life here, then I'm surprised. But if I'm not, if I think really through the gospel, then not only am I not surprised, but I meet those trials with joy. I live every day looking at it and saying, God, you created this day for you, for your glory. And I get to play a part in that because you redeemed me. You bought me for yourself. And my life is not my own. I have died to myself and the life I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I now live for him, the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's your purpose. That's the point. Everything belongs to him. So church, that's the question before you. And I realize that that may be overwhelming. I get it. But if we don't start learning how to really speak the gospel fluently and understand and see how it, how it intersects with every part and how it serves as the backdrop and the driving force behind everything in our lives, then we will continually walk through life frustrated and questioning and doubting God. But if we could do that, imagine what the world would look like from a Christian perspective if we didn't see people who disagreed with us as, as our enemies who need to be fixed, but we saw them as people that we get to display God's goodness and glory to and point them to him. Imagine if we walked around as transformed people testifying to his goodness. And for some of you, today's the day that you need to do that. You've believed things about God. You believed in a generic God, but you haven't believed in this God. 
you haven't believed in the God of the Bible. Maybe you've been walking through and you've just kind of defined God by everything you've heard or been taught, but you've never actually read the Bible. Read what is it actually? What does God say about God? Maybe today's the day that you start doing that. Maybe your moment this morning is you go home and you say, I'm reading this thing. I'm getting into this and I'm reading it not to solve my problems in my life, but to learn who this God is that loved me and gave himself up for me. Or maybe your point right now is you need to receive the redemption that it was waiting you. Maybe you need to be committed to walking in newness of life. We're going to walk down. I'm going to have the band come up. And actually, I want the band to come up right now. And we're going to sing one more song. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, this all is it's, it's clicking even through jumbled ramblings, it is clicking with you. And if it is, if this clicks with you, and if this makes sense to you, then I would just say that is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is absolutely the work of the Holy Spirit. So listen to that voice and trust that and lean into that. And maybe it's you this morning that you're saying, you know what, I've never been baptized. And I know that I've, I've just always been comfortable with what, how I viewed God and how I've, but I've never, I've never surrendered myself fully to this story. I'm living a different story, one of religion, one of just my own view. And maybe this morning is the time that you say, you know what, I'm done with that. I've been redeemed by Christ, and I want to walk in newness of life. That is what baptism is about. It is declaring, I have been redeemed. It doesn't redeem you. You don't go get dunked in the river to save yourself. That doesn't happen. Christ saves you, and he redeems you and renews you to walk in newness of life. So maybe that's where you are this morning. And maybe where you are this morning is you just needed to hear the gospel again. You just needed to be reminded of these glorious truths that have shaped you and shaped your life and to just rejoice in that. And if any of those things happen this morning, I'm going to call that a win. So what I want us to do is if, if you, um, you want to be baptized this morning, please talk to uh, either myself or Robbie um, or Martin or Brian. I don't know where they are. Maybe they could stand up and wave. Martin and Brian, can you stand up and wave? Stand up and wave. It's not that hard. There's Martin. Oh, there's Brian. Okay. So you can grab one of them and, and talk to them and just tell them, I want to be baptized. And they're going to ask you, well, why do you want to be baptized? And you're going to tell them. It's not a big theological test. And then we'll, we'll baptize. And so after this song, and I'm, one I'm asking that we just sing, sing like crazy. I know the speakers are, are low-powered and, and a little distorted, but that doesn't matter if we sing. So sing to the greatness of our God. And then afterwards, we're going to, if you're able, we just want to ask you to walk down around here, down to the river. We're going to baptize some people, and then we're going to come back up, and we're going to share a meal to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, you are the one true God. We were created by you and for you. And our sin is not that we do bad things, but that we have rebelled against that kingship of yours. That we have believed ourselves to be more holy and more just, more more righteous than you. God, forgive us for that. We know that in Christ you have forgiven us, you have redeemed us, that you make every wrong right and you, every sin will be held to account and every sin will be paid for. But you have paid for it with your own blood. For those who have trusted in you, you have given the right to be called children of God. 
And God, you have bought us back for your glory, that we would be freed from sin and free to live the life that you have given us to live, to declare your goodness and glory to a lost and hurting world. I pray, God, that we would do that boldly and courageously and lovingly, and that we would experience all the fullness of joy and life that you have for us. Praise in Jesus' name.